0: This is 20 by 20, a podcast from Newcastle University's School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape, where we ask leading architects, urbanists, designers and thinkers to reflect on the ideas, inspirations and interests that shape their practice and their views on the present and future of architecture and cities. It's 20 questions in 20 minutes with me, Owen Hopkins. Can you tell us who you are, where you're speaking from, and what you do.
1: I am in order. Jaden Ali, uh, maybe I'll save the titles for what I do. And where I'm speaking from is um, I'm on Gilbert House, which is the bridge in the Barbican that crosses the lakes in London. And what do I do? A number of things. I am the director of JA Projects. We're a small architecture practice somewhere between the worlds of architecture, art, and performance. I am a unit leader and senior lecturer at Central Saint Martins on the MArch architecture course. Uh, Sometimes an advocate, I sit on the London Legacy Development Corporations review panel. Sometimes a a filmmaker, sometimes a, a trustee. I'm a trustee for Open City, which is the parent charity of Open House. And sometimes a writer, I'm a columnist for Elephant magazine. So lots of, lots of stuff, Ge- generally concerned with the city, I would say, urban questions, or the way in which we, we live collectively, which generally concerns the city and urbanism. I've got lots of questions about that, but I wanted to ask firstly,
0: <coughs> how you got into architecture? What drew you to the discipline?
1: I've always been concerned with with cities. When I when I was young, I I wanted to. I've been obsessed with the way in which they work, with the way in which people engage with each other, the way in which culture manifests itself, and the way in which cities develop. and They host all of those various different acts. Like what an incredible thing that we've been able to establish as. A species that we can live in these really really great rich environments that I think are, can only get better, but also are incredible kind of marvels of ingenuity and and collaboration. and I've always been interested in that when i when I wanted to explore a career in architecture, I didn't quite know what architects did. so I asked around and someone organized work experience for me at Camden Council town planners. And very quickly, I realized that's not what I want to do. I don't want to be on the reviewing side of of architecture. I want to be on the side where, of course, there is the the in-depth and detailed process of looking at the various material and immaterial immaterial constructions that form a city and how they work together and whether they're appropriate and critiquing them. But there is also a desire to to manifest things and to design. And to, to use that learning and apply it in a way to invent new ways of collaboration and new ways of living. And that's, that kind of drew me you know, very quickly to the, to the profession of architecture, at least the, the discipline of architecture in terms of an academic setting. You've
0: mentioned already that you teach at Central Martins where you're a senior lecturer. And I wanted to ask a little bit about architectural education. Because in, in that, that space, if we can call it that, there's this, there exists a very broad understanding or conception of architecture, a huge number of ways of thinking about it, practicing it that crosses contexts, disciplines with, with almost total freedom. It's a kind of place of possibilities. And then you come into practice where that world suddenly becomes quite different. Uh, It's about pragmatics, practicalities, the economics, ultimately, of building. But I think in in your work, you've retained that really broad understanding and um, architecture working in a range of spheres, as you've already described, and engaging with the kind of broader set of situations in which architecture uh, exists, questions of belonging, identity, racial inequality, social justice, power structures. I, I was wondering how you bring all of that to bear in an approach that is somehow still distinctly architectural. What, what still makes what you do architecture or, or how you identify as, as an architect, but working in a whole range of different areas and fields?
1: I think my practice and my practice as me, a person, as a practitioner rather than JA Projects as a, as a formal studio is based in and founded upon wearing multiple hats and having uh, an engagement with different worlds. And that's a really rich context in which I am working really hard to retain, because I do think it gives the way in which I practice, and the way in which the practice practices, in in turn, a distinct output and a distinct focus, where we are concerned with the parts of the brief that are not necessarily written into the original commission. We're very much, as a discipline, I would say, as a professional discipline, one is at surface level concerned with the material, so. Buildings, structures, visual and physical forms that you can see and touch, but the underlying drivers of of our work is very much a concern for the immaterial, which is the the networks and the processes and the financial mechanisms and the lived stories and the culture that allows these places to succeed, or to be breathed like, or for life to be breathed into them. So. In that respect, I'm really, really grateful for, I think the, my practice is founded in academia and was formed in, in my time of studying, but also um, during my time at CSM where I've been kind of helping to lead the course and to shape that course in such a way that one does have the, the capacity on the course to deal with these multifarious different aspects and sometimes architecture with a small a, looser aspects of architecture but is still given the skills to be able to translate those concerns into things that manifest more conventionally and I, i don't think there's a distinction there i think we are on the one hand we are merchants of dreams you know we sell stories we we paint visions for people to buy into and Um, for people to rally round and in order to tell those convincing stories we need to they need to be kind of rich and engaging but they also need to kind of they're a bit like music you have to kind of touch people in the right way or you have to resonate with them and to do that you have to understand them and to channel their issues and some of their concerns and it doesn't matter whether you do that in an academic context or you do that in a professional context whether you're digesting the brief that's been given to you by your tutors or you've kind of you've absorbed naturally through your peers and the kind of social concerns that drive the agenda of of academic institutions or whether you're trying to meet the criteria that's outlined in a brief from a local authority that you're trying to do something which says I understand all of these multiple parts these these various constituent elements and i'm trying to put them together in a really elegant and seductive way and maybe to use the analogy of of traditional practice where i think historically one would be looking at you know, if you look at the work of frank lloyd wright or someone like that you know one would be looking at or or lautner you'd be saying that's a really great piece of architecture because these various various elements have been put together in a in a really elegant elegant way, like the mountain meets the foundations and the foundation meets the floor and the floor meets the, the roof. And that's a really great piece of design to do that, to make it like, simple, to make it enticing. But I think if you view the constituent parts of architecture as, as expanded and beyond those kind of physical material elements to include the immaterial, well, then you are looking at kind of cultural references. You are looking at positions of advocacy, you are looking at dominant themes with regards to activism or looking at the way in which architecture can, can combat these power structures or the way that the projects could be manifest themselves through innovative financial mechanisms that upend those power stru- structures. So I think that all comes to play and I think it's a really good question because it just reminds me that all of the other worlds in which I inhabit are really, really valuable to the practice. I think very easily I could see myself being being dragged into to the everyday, everyday grind of running projects, but actually to, to give the, the practice its source, if you like, to, to give it its kind of currency and its spice. We all need to be doing stuff outside of it because that learning is invaluable. When I was
0: preparing for this interview, I listened to a, um, a really fascinating interview that you did uh, just over a year ago for Open Ended. And I very much recommend listeners uh, listen to that one as well. And Open Ended is a platform that describes itself for activists, designers and architects. And I wondered to what extent you regard your practice in, in the kind of expanded sense that you've described as an activist one or is that only a component of it
1: it's a really really pertinent question one i would say yeah i would second that recommend- recommendation to listen to kind of open-ended because i think it's brilliantly put together and suhae khan is um an incredible person and the work she's doing is is brilliant and insightful and and she actually teaches onto the course at central saint martin's i would resist being defined as solely an activist practice. I think that, I think is problematic in a number of ways. We, our architecture has a purpose and a social purpose, of course, but I think architecture should have a social purpose. All architecture should should do that. And whether it does that in, in an overt way or in a slightly more subtle way, the, the landscape of our cities and the way in which we li- we live and the common threads between them have changed over time. So, of course, there are bad developments or... or but the general arc of, of kind of progress exists. So we're all agents of change in, in that respect. It just depends as to kind of what degree, how far you're willing to kind of push it through through each, each project. It's interesting you asked the, the question because it's a question that I ask myself as well and i don't think it's activist to 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 try and remedy things that you view as being wrong or not sitting quite right or to maybe to return to my phrase things that you see as being inelegant we're trying to make things be elegant and there's beauty and elegance and there's beauty and fairness and that's what we seek to do so it's just kind of part and parcel of our our practice we don't we try to find projects that contain those conundrums within within the briefs that have been set or even if that conundrum has not been identified by the clients is a conundrum that we can see for instance we're working on a project with Suffolk which is about which is called Campbell Station Road and it's really a framed as a public realm project but the conundrums in this project is how do you give, how do you write those mechanics who currently occupy a set of railway arches as part of the street into the project, so that they have a sustained presence there in the future, or, you know, the local authority says that the light the light levels on the street are adequate, but if anyone walks down Camberwell Station Road at night time, you know that you might fear for your life. So there's a whole discourse there about women's safety and active frontages that's not us being activists you know we're not shouting and screaming we are we're change makers that's what we do we change sections of the of the city that's our that's our role and you might call some people call that development and some people call that regeneration but there is implicitly within our work there is a call for change and we're interested in delivery so there is we hope we deliver actual change, which I hope we will do because a lot of our projects are still on the drawing board and in the, in the studio and in our computers and our minds, but they will come to fruition over the next year or so, which is important. Of course, I would just caveat this by saying, I think there is a fearlessness, a cha- I, that's not us disassociating ourselves from the term and the categorization of an activist, because I think there is a fearlessness and associated with that as an, ad- an agenda and I would like to think that we're not scared to call out injustices when we see them. I think that's a really exciting part of what, of what we do. But I, I also feel that it's very easy to take a young black practitioner and pigeonhole them as an activist when really we're designers and we're good designers and we're designers for change that role
0: as a change maker uh, is is a, is a is a really fascinating one because obviously one can apply it that ethos that spirit those actions that ensue from it to two two different spheres but i wonder about architecture itself the discipline the profession how what you do can lead to or what you and others do lead to a kind of change or a reconstitution of the of the profession itself. I mean, kind of just a very simple example. I mean, in a possibly it was in the open ended interview or maybe another one that I read, you, you mentioned you had a sort of cobusian upbringing. And I understand you grew up in a block that was designed by Lubeckin as a sort of very obvious inheritor of uh, Corbusier's ideals. And I kind of find it endlessly fascinating that we're still talking about <laughs> Le Corbusier. I mean, Modernism is a hundred years old now. And there are these great figures that still are still referred to in in architectural culture and, and indeed in architectural education. And I wonder how how do we shift that? <laughs> how do we move the conversation on? Are there other figures that we should be thinking about replacing these ones? Or is there a whole other conversation that we need to that we need to have? So that was just a kind of example of how the culture of architecture could be itself subject
1: to change. Maybe I can co- correct some of that statement, which is please, uh, please I, I didn't grow up <laughs> in, a, in a Corbusian environment, although I now very much sit within one. Right? I understand this, the, the context of, of the Barbican as a place. Uh, I grew up in Bethnal Green, which does have a number of Corbusian relatives and siblings which i highly recommend people to check out because i do think the cranbrook estate uh, is incredible and keelan house is is brilliant also and a big fan of lebetkin but i'm also a big fan of the social structure in which i did grow up i grew up in a peabody estate quite a traditional red brick victorian era three-sided peabody estate with a communal courtyard I know the value of good housing, of supportive housing, of subsidised housing, and that's why I'm so privileged and so honoured to be working on a project like Thamesmead Waterfront, which is a kind of collaboration between Peabody and Lendys because And it's really a game-changing, off-the-scale development for Peabody. If you think about Peabody as an institution, it's generally concerned with housing you know just just small housing stock and now they're did now they're major landowners with all of the kind of constraints that come come with that DLR development and transport infrastructure and contaminated land like what a what an amazing ambition from a really kind of pioneering what a big bet from a originally pioneering housing housing association so that's kind of skirting around your issue in terms of kind of game changers and figures that we should be challenging but I don't I do think that points I I think that just I just like to make the point that it's not it's not a dominant dogma there's not a Corbusian dominant dogma that that runs through the, the the practice there there are other kind of informed modes of operation and outlooks on city development that that are very very inspiring and With that said, I do think that it is necessary to reframe the canon, and we've done a lot of work on that. And I think that can extend to, I think there is power in influential figures, and I put together a a lecture series for Central Saint Martins, which you can find online, called Counter Figures, and that deals with everyone from Guy Debord to Kim Kardashian. You have to find the the overlaps between the people who inspire you, because I think artistic discipline is the, the boundary between artistic discipline is so fuzzy that it that if it can bleed into architecture, and architecture will be the greater for it. Historically, the there has been a very limited lens through which architecture has relied upon artistic discipline. So, if you think about the dominant doctrines attached to Sir John and the Enlightenment period and and objects from far-flung lands. They're very object-orientated, but I think there's a lot to learn from practice-orientated art, performative-orientated art, basically art that is reliant upon actions. And that's why, you know, similarly, I find I find things like, you know, big moves that, Peabody do in terms of kind of arts led regeneration in Thamesmead to be a a really great something really great to riff on. And I think you have to find those kind of those gems in projects and those alternative idols, whether they are kind of a form of practice or a person in order to help guide the project. And I think a constellation of projects will help to shape the profession or I hope. To be honest, one thinks about the profession that it doesn't it doesn't occupy my mind on a daily basis. and not sitting here thinking the profession needs to change. This is why maybe one like I know the profession needs to change. Like I know that it just isn't the driver of every everyday life, which is why I'm uh, maybe going back to your previous question about like activists and not here say, oh, we have to change the profession i want the profession to change and we do have to change the profession but our everyday concern is putting together really kind of amazing projects and telling seductive stories that might have the capacity to do so and i think one needs to focus well we need to focus our energy on on doing that
0: we're talking while the cop 26 conference is taking place this discourse of and reality of crisis climate crisis but we're you know also still in the midst of a pandemic and dealing with this sort of belated reckoning about legacies of empire and and the need to decolonize culture and and society you've spoken a little bit about how one kind of makes sense of this of this situation um in the past by kind of looking at the interconnections between these things but could you kind of expand on that how how does one kind of make sense of this moment of, ex- of kind of extreme and profound crisis that is all encompassing and overbearing that has, because of it, the complexity and the scale can essentially kind of lead, lead to a kind of a, a paralysis. How, how do you make, how do you as, a, as an architect make sense of, of, of the world in which architecture finds itself today?
1: I want to find the correct or the appropriate way for, framing my response which is i think it's not necessarily so there are a number of terms right decolonizing decarbonizing but there is a a lexicon of crisis right that that's that you point to a couple of times Mm. i think that framing of this as a moment of crises is a privileged framing i think it's associated with wealthy nations wealthy populations and those who see this moment of This moment as a moment of relative crises compared to quite a stable baseline. Whereas if you speak to people who are poor or excluded and marginalised, their entire life is a moment of crises. A new crisis when we were poor. A new crisis when there was so much kind of social angst that existed in kind of East London in the early or late 1990s or early 2000s I can only speak from from my perspective that but has always been a, a constant discomfort in the condition in which we live whereas I think crisis is being framed and the narrative of crisis is being framed is because people are being confronted with that discomfort for the first time if you've forever lived in a moment of crises and discomfort then it's just one more thing to deal with and from that there's hope that actually you have to be aware that the discomfort is constant but you also have to become comfortable existing within that moment of discomfort because if you don't it will be overbearing and you won't be able to deal with it and you have to have the confidence that by working away at it and uh, and working diligently and observing and critiquing and trialing new ways of of dealing with that discomfort or to remedy that discomfort you take away some of its kind of power o- over time and so i think there is not the you know the, what's the phrase that the, the house is the house is burning the house has always been burning for a long time in in my world and but that's not me or doom, doom and gloom that's just saying it's it's constantly on fire, and our job is to fight the fires all the time. And the more we fight them, the better we get at them. So let's kind of rally ourselves to the occasion, and and that and that's what this moment really does do is that people are they have to kind of add that to their arsenal. Firefighting has to be part of one's arsenal, which then goes back to your to the previous question, which was really pertinent, which is about kind of activism, because if you are fighting fires. You are being active against some form of sh- struggle that that is not positive in in your world. You recognize that as a negative thing, and you have to kind of fight it. So, I think if that adds more strings to people's bow in terms of fighting those fires, and, and from an activist standpoint, that's only a that's only a good thing. The the tricky thing is to keep up to keep it up as a sustained period of resistance, because that's the only way that you'll be able to, that we'll be able to see the end. And actually it's really tiring fighting crises your entire life, or it's really tiring being in a space of discomfort your entire life. And hopefully it gets to a stage where people recognize that that is really tiring and actually we need to work collectively to overcome it. And and hopefully that's what, what we see. It's a bit disconcerting to see a lot of kind of pledges to fight crises in name only and not necessarily in action. And that's why I also think, you know, maybe the resistance to the term of activist is is activists are sometimes framed as just being very, very vocal. And, that, and actually, I think there's such power in demonstration and not demonstrating by kind of walking or shouting, but just demonstrating a path, an alternative path or an alternative way of doing things.
0: Jaden Ali, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Owen. It's, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to 20 by 20, a podcast from
0: Newcastle University's School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. Stay tuned for more episodes, write a review or give us a rating and be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform.